Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. Amen. First Kings 19 verse 1. So good to have all of my family here tonight. My son and his wife, Carson and Emily, are here I guess I didn't mention them this morning, so he got on to me tonight. He wasn't here today, so he was at his home church in Columbus. I love and appreciate them, Ashton and Avery. Amen. Of course, my wife being with me tonight. This has been a treat for us. Verse 1, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and with all how he had slain, with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Verse number nine, the word of the Lord came to him, said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Verse 13, and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, what doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, go, return on the way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria and Jehu, the son of Nimshi. Shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, Elisha, the son of Shaphat. Of Abel Maholah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room, and it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay, and him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet, watch this in verse 18, yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. With the help of the Holy Ghost for a few moments tonight, I simply want to preach to you on this subject, the sin of silence. The sin of silence. Could we clap our hands one more time and give God a little bit of praise in this house? Thank you, Lord, for your word that is anointed. Anoint our ears to hear. God, anoint my mouth to speak your word. In the name of Jesus, you may be seated. So often we approach the Word of God, believing that the men and women of faith that we encounter within the pages are people of immense ability, talent, giftedness, and so thinking that way, we often determine we are not capable to do great things for God or overcome great obstacles that may arise in our path. 
I believe that that is the biggest lie of the enemy when he convinces us to believe in this because the Bible is extremely clear in describing the ups and the downs of the people of God throughout history. I, for one, am very thankful to God that he included passages that describe people in pain as well as people walking in promise. You're looking at one preacher tonight that is very grateful God allowed the writers of this holy word to describe walking through the valley as well as sitting on the mountaintop around a campfire singing Kumbaya. This book gives us the good, the bad, the highs and the lows, the victory and the defeat. Sure, we love to read about the great victories that men and women of God secured because of their faith. However, in so doing, we separate ourselves from them, thinking that could never happen for me. I got news for someone. The devil is a liar. I've been on a journey the last few months of my life in prayer and study time digging into the fabric of what it means to be an apostolic church and an apostolic people and how the church must look like in this hour that we have found ourselves in. And there is a smorgasbord of options in today's religious world. And I'm sorry to say, even amongst Pentecostals, there is much that one can choose from. But let me go on record tonight and make it very clear. The world doesn't need another Pentecostal light church. Hello? The world is not interested in a watered-down, anemic, run-of-the-mill, passionless, convictionless, burdenless, powerless Pentecostal church that has a form of godliness uh, but denies the power of God to operate and to move uh, and to saturate uh, and to get into the middle of our lives. Very quickly, let me remind someone there are three things that in my mind define the apostolic Pentecostal church. Number one, it's apostolic authority. Number two, it's apostolic ministry. And number three, it's apostolic worship. I'm confident more could be added to that list tonight, but to me, these three components of the church, uh, of the living God, are vital for us to survive in the hour in which we live. Uh, church, I know you believe it, uh, but let me go ahead and and declare for just a few moments uh, we must have uh, apostolic uh, authority we're not going to exist in this world uh, without apostolic authority. Uh, the Apostle Paul makes a powerful revelation in the opening comments uh, in Galatians. He says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, uh, neither by man, uh, but by Jesus Christ uh, and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Uh, apostolic authority is very different uh, from that of a philosopher, which depends uh, upon uh, entirely his own intellect prowess. We need a move of God. We need apostolic authority. We need to be moved on by the Spirit. Apostolic authority comes direct from God. Apostolic authority is dependent on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we not only need apostolic authority, we need apostolic ministry. The world is not looking for a cheap show. Hello? They're looking for a church that believes what Jesus declared in John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. 
We must have apostolic ministry where the sick are healed and the lame walk and the blind see. We've got to have apostolic ministry where families are put back together. We've got to have apostolic ministry where people lay hands on the sick and they recover. We've got to have apostolic ministry where we can speak to those things that are not as though they already are. We've got to have apostolic ministry, not just from the pulpit, but in the pew, not just from the leadership team, but from the youth group. We need apostolic ministry. Not only do we need apostolic ministry, I still believe, and the longer I am alive, I believe it even more. There is a need for apostolic worship. We must have apostolic worship. This thing never started in a quiet library on the outskirts of Jerusalem. It was in an upper room, and before the day was over, it was noised abroad. It spread like wildfire because it made some noise. Hello? We talked about releasing the sound tonight. God didn't save you to become a part of what I heard one preacher said. He was a part of the first church of the frigid air. No, some of you uh, that are here in this house tonight, maybe the enemy has convinced you that it's okay to sit down. Uh, you got punched your ticket to heaven uh, and you can just sit back uh, and allow everyone else to do the work. Uh, amen. I've come to tell somebody, uh, amen, it's time for a generation to arise uh, that is not sophisticated in their worship, but they got a crazy praise in their heart. Uh, they've got a shout on their lips. Uh, they got to jump in their step. I still believe in apostolic worship. Now, it's interesting in our text, Elijah is almost suicidal. He is. He's asking to die. He is wanting to die and give up, and he keeps complaining to God, God, I'm the only one that has stood up for you. I'm the only one out here in the middle of this heathen culture that is still declaring your name, tearing down idols, destroying the prophets of Baal. It's just me. I'm all by myself. God lets him stew for a while, then tells him, listen, Jack, I have 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. Now, that's wonderful. That's awesome. But my question is, Pastor Carson, where were they? Hello? Why were they so silent in the middle of Elijah's crusade to destroy those who worship Baal? Why did he do it all by himself? Where were they when Elijah stood on top of Mount Carmel and declared, why do you stand between two opinions? Why are you allowing your family to have options? Why are you standing there with your finger in the air trying to determine which direction to go? Haven't you heard Joshua who said, choose you this day whom you will serve? I know you haven't bowed to Baal, but where are you? 
Where were these 7,000 prophets that never bowed their knee? Where were these 7,000 men of God who never raced to Elijah's side to help him bring a revival back to the nation of Israel? I'm not trying to step out of context today, but I really have a problem with this picture. Men that could have helped lead the nation to an unprecedented revival, but yet they are silent. Hold up somewhere, watching the man of God do all the work. Allow me to step out here on a very uncomfortable plank and preach for just a moment. God never called the church to operate as a one-man show. Building an apostolic church is a community event. Uh, these so-called prophets of God kept their mouths shut at a time they needed to maybe making some noise. Uh, if the enemy of your soul can get you and I to silence our praise, uh, to water down our enthusiasm, uh, to quiet our shout, he's won the bide, the won the battle. But the word of God is still clear that we are to shout, we are to sing, we are to dance, uh, we are to make some noise in our declaration of how truly great and mighty and powerful God is. I'm going to go ahead and declare it. I believe God is attracted to noise. Oh, come on, preacher. I'll be out of here tomorrow, I promise. God is attracted to noise. You don't believe me? Have you heard the cry of blind Bartimaeus? Jesus! Shut up, blind Bartimaeus. Jesus! Be quiet, blind Bartimaeus. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Hush, keep quiet. He doesn't have time for you. But he shouted even the more. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Over here, Lord. The blind man over here. Here, God, I need a touch. God is attracted to noise. His shouting got the attention of God. Something about getting out of your comfort zone that attracts God. I, I'm not interested in 7,000 that just kept the faith. I want to know if there's anybody in the house that may have been up underneath the pressure that doesn't care what your neighbor thinks or your children think or your husband or wife thinks. You feel like blind Bart today. I got to get the attention of God. I wonder if there's anybody in this house that the devil has told you to shut up and sit down. But something in your spirit, you may not dance with the rest of them yet. But tonight before it's over, I got a feeling in my spirit God is about ready to reveal how powerful, how awesome your praise really is. Woo! Now, Acts 16 delivers a powerful example of what I'm preaching. Two men of God thrown into prison. Some think it is over, but in all reality, they're thrown not into prison, but they were thrown into a place of praise. It's all about how you perceive your prison. Hello, I'm going to make myself at home tonight. My arm may grow before this thing's over. It's already started. Just look at it. Look at it go. It's all how you perceive your prison. Is it a place of confinement or is it a place of praise? 
you choose two great followers of Christ facing persecution for their truth, for their faith. I don't suggest becoming one that compares yourself to others. But if you must, I challenge you to compare your trouble to Paul and Silas tonight. Not deserving the consequences that have been placed upon their life. Longing to do and fulfill the plan of God and calling in their lives. Set back by the greediness of a world that doesn't mind evil as long as they profit from it. They were thrown into a place that was hopeless, but not to a worshiper. A worshiper always has a different perspective of the trial. A worshiper always has a different perspective of the storm. Now, there is not a whole lot that is detailed of their conversation or mindset right before midnight, but we don't know much of the perhaps of the, of the worries and fret that they may have been set in. We are not aware of what caused them to praise, but we know this. In the midst of it all, they begin to praise God. Somebody needs to hear me tonight. It's not time for a meltdown. It's time for a miracle. And a miracle can come when you begin to give God some praise. Somebody needs to praise God without reservation. It says the prisoners heard them. Why don't we move past worrying how it is perceived and praise God with a triumphant voice? These two aged apostles created an atmosphere for deliverance. I don't know if you feel bound tonight, but I got a feeling there's a worshiper sitting close by you uh, that when they begin to worship your prison door could open and your chains could be broke off of you that's the power of a worshiper hear me they started something that hell could not stop. Their praise opened up the prison, not just for them, but for everybody. Someone's praise can create an atmosphere where someone across the room huh, can be delivered. Uh, it's Satan's intention to silence your praise and your testimony. I'm not quite sure what he is expecting here tonight, but I've come to praise God. Huh? If he can silence my praise, huh, then he knows that I won't be silencing him. What are you saying, Psalm 8? Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. The devil knows that even the praise of a child has the ability to silence his agenda. Someone needs to understand when you open your mouth, when you run the aisles, when you shout unto God, he brings about deliverance, not only in your life, but in the life of those around you. Deliverance from anxiety, deliverance from disease, deliverance from depression someone needs to open their mouths right now and let out some praise shackles can be torn off bondages can break sickness can be healed why because God inhabits the praise of his people I will not be silent about salvation. I will not be silent about deliverance. I will not be silent about restoration. I will not be silent about revival. I don't care if there's a pandemic or a prison. I will not be silent. 
In the middle of it all, don't be silent. In the middle of it all, don't be quiet. In the middle of it all, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Worshippers, Brother Sleva, worshipers have the ability to reshape the night. I grew up here in my mom and dad worship in the middle of Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. It didn't stop them. They didn't quiet down because we had special guests. In fact, where I grew up, they ramped it up. Hello? Nowadays, we're like, ooh, so-and-so's here. Let's tone it down. Just about the time we thought that would happen, Sister, good old Sister Estelle at 1327 East Alice South Street in Salinas, California, had one of those beehive heritage. She got the shouting and the bobby pin started flying. Hit me, my arm gangrene set in and my arm fell off. As a kid, I knew, get ready. We fixing to have some church up in here. You thought Indians won the lottery. Brother Anderson, it got wild. It got crazy. But now we want to kind of. Oh, come on, Brother Carson. I've already worshiped. Come on, Pastor. I've already come on. Saints of God, this church needs a church. This city needs a church. This world needs a church that's not afraid to release the sound. It's not time to be quiet. It's time to go to the next level. In the midnight hour cry. In the midnight hour sing. In the midnight hour dance. In the midnight hour worship. I'm starting to feel something come on me right now. Your location should not determine your praise position. I don't care if you're up against the wall, shout. I don't care if it looks like Jericho, shout. I don't care if it's prison bars, shout. I don't care if it's cancer, shout. I don't care if it's COVID, shout. people that come to church with a vengeance. I love people that come to church with an attitude. I love people that come to church with a purpose. I'm going to praise him. I'm going to worship. I'm going to magnify. Why? Because God deserves the praise. I said it's time to release the sound. You got a Jericho wall, release the sound. You got a sickness, release the sound. Your marriage in trouble, release the sound.
Let me tell you students, you know how you're going to reach your world? By keeping those hands up and that mouth open. Let me tell you parents who are having to raise teenagers in the middle of a vile culture, release the sound. I don't care what I look like. I don't care how sweaty I get. I don't care if my shirt comes untucked. It's time to release this. It's time to give God a shout of praise. Somebody, if you're going through a trial, Slip a hand up and magnify the Lord. It's time. It's time to release. 